Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, William DeBurns, and my kind of first save on horse was not able to be on for this one. Um, but for the first half, we have the Dark Knight Rises review, and um, a special guest, Trent Morales. I'm a good friend of mine. He was on for our Memento review. And, you know, Trent, this is, this is one that we're definitely looking forward to do, and uh, thanks for being back on, man. Man, absolutely. It's, uh, it's always fun to hang out with you guys. Yeah, definitely. And um, to start it off with the overview for The Dark Knight Rises, um, The Dark Knight Rises is a 2012 superhero film directed by Christopher Nolan, who co-wrote the um, screenplay with his brother, Jonathan Nolan, and the story with uh, David S. Goyer. It's based on the DC Comics character Batman, also um, the final installment in Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy and the sequel to The Dark Knight. The cast includes um, Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Gary Oldman, Anne Hathaway, Tom Hardy, Marion uh, Cotillard, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Morgan Freeman. It chronicles eight years after the events of The Dark Knight, the revolutionary Bane forces Bruce Wayne to resume his role as Batman and save Gotham City from nuclear destruction. Um, it had a budget of 250 to $300 million and also brought in $1.081 billion. Got an 87% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And this is a film that's following up a masterpiece in The Dark Knight, and, and it's still going along the same template and, and style, tone, and set pieces. And this film was, you know, when you look back at it, it was really necessary to complete the Dark Knight story. And to fully appreciate it, you've got to see um, Batman Begins and the groundwork that's been laid at the beginning of the franchise. And even Christopher Nolan was was a little hesitant about making a third film. But after the, the story was developed more, he gave it um, the green light. But what were your initial thoughts of the film and how it properly completed uh, the Dark Knight trilogy? So this was the the first film I ever saw in theater three times. I know that's insane, but but I did. Like I I just remember when it came out, being so stoked on it and just ready to see it. Uh, but if we're all being completely honest, I think everybody was kind of scared when we first heard Bane in the trailer. We're like, yeah, wait, 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 like, what did he say? <laughs> like there was like, what, wait, what, what is he saying? And I know, I know, Nolan basically took that, took that feedback and went back and fixed it to where it's not as bad anymore. Um, but, but yeah, it was definitely one of those films that, you know, once it came out, you knew you were excited to see it. Um, and unfortunately it had to follow the dark night and not just, that's the thing, the, the pressure of that, yeah. the pressure of <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Not just the film, the dark night, but you had to follow like Tom Hardy has to follow Heath Ledger in, in the role as the, as the antagonist for the for this film, uh, and uh, and so the bar is super high, but and as we've you know as we've seen with Nolan, he takes the things that are you know are fairly popular in culture, in pop culture, and makes them his own. So he he almost makes he makes Bane more relevant to today's world instead of being this juiced up maniac who just wants to be exactly he i mean he was he was thoughtful he was methodical and he just uh man he wrecked stuff so um compared to what we saw in batman and robin back in the late 90s this is a much (laughs) better bane (laughs) this is an upgrade (laughs) oh absolutely absolutely yeah Yeah. And, and dealing with bane and tom hardy um just given the performance of a lifetime as he's already, you know, one of the top leading men in Hollywood. Um, this character was, was such an imposing and overwhelming physical force, but, you know, at the same time, like, as you were saying, you know, had, had a brilliantly 
I had a brilliant and tactically sharp mind. Um, a villain like the Joker was, wasn't directly trying to kill Batman, but Bane, you know, was and, and literally um, broke his back and ended up being the biggest challenge Batman and Gotham faced. And it was all about the plan for him, not sportsmanship, you know, showmanship. And the last thing that, you know, really stood out um, to me looking back at this was, you know, his gift of oratory and the great um, dialogue he just delivered with Flair. Um, what were your thoughts on just, Bane being one of the most imposing figures in this trilogy with having a u- unique plan and Tom Hardy just taking this role to another level. Because when I look back at this trilogy, you know, Bane really is up there as one of the best superhero villains, like in terms of what he did in this particular film and the way he was able, I mean, if, if we don't remember, if you don't have the Joker's performance, Bane is is going to be the top one. It's just what he had to follow was just extremely difficult. Yeah, totally, totally. Like, I mean, he like I say, he was methodical at what he did and he, he broke, he broke the Batman <laughs> literally. Yeah. And, um, now of course, you know, we can always, we can definitely, you know, go back and forth and say that, you know, Bruce Wayne or Batman did not know what he was up against. Like he, you know, what he saw in the league of shadows of Ra's al Ghul, you know, yes, that was a very daunting task, but that was Batman at his peak, you know, going to his peak performance. You've, you've taken eight years off, man. Like, you you can't just jump back into this thing. I think it's going to work okay. And Bane proved that. Like, I mean, I, I think Alfred says, you know, in the film, he's like, you know, I see a man who is, you know, spurred on by belief. And, you know, Bane had the belief that he was able to, to bring the reckoning to Gotham that they deserved. Um, which was, you know, to purge it of its of its corruption and to purge it of its, um, I guess, just straight-up wickedness. And, um, yeah, so overall, I mean, some of the some of the greatest lines that you could see in a superhero movie, just in the way that he quoted things, the way that he kind of made, made, made people feel really small. I mean, from the opening, the opening of the film. You know, the yeah. CIA just tried to, tried, to, tried to interrogate these guys by holding them out of a plane and firing gun and Bane's line makes complete sense. Like, well, why would you shoot a man before throwing him out of the plane? Like it doesn't make any sense at all. So, and you know, from, from the jump, he is, you know, he is in control and you know, when he walks in the room that he's there to, to continue to take that control wherever he goes. Yeah, definitely. And um, transitioning to, to our, our first topic from, from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um, Trent, I'm not going to lie. I, I gave it a three and a half. I gave it a, I gave it a three and I was, I was close to giving it four. I gave it a three and a half. The dark Knight to me is still, the second one is still a four star film and I have high, high standards Absolutely. of four star films. And, you know, th- this was, you know, a very potent action film and also ambitious and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Um, it just has, you know, grappling hooks that are, are placed into matters of life, death and rebirth in a witty fashion. And there were some parts of the storyline that, that kind of felt overlong and some sequences in the middle, Completely agree. Come, you know, fell flat, but, to me, that this still has just as we we're talking, as you we were just just talking about, one of the best establishing scenes in superhero movies, um, with Bane and the Mercenaries hijacking the CIA uh, CIA aircraft, and I, and I still think that this is a phenomenal film. But um, to you, from one to four stars, what would you give it? Uh, you know, I was actually landing on three and a half as well. I mean, it's not, you know, it, I would say, you know, on on the scale that we're using here, you know, that 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 jump from three to four is pretty big. It's big. Um, <laughs> it's it's big and. Um, and, you know, as I actually rewatched today before we jumped on this recording and, 
you know, I still enjoy it. I think it's a great film. It's a great moment in cinematic history. But it's just, if it, I haven't put my finger on it yet, but it feels like it's just missing something. And it, and it could be, you know, just a lack of Batman. You know, it could be kind of the lack of Bruce Wayne in the film. Um, you know, th- there are moments where you kind of just forget that he's even there until it shows exactly. up again. Yeah. Um, he's trying to so, come out. Exactly, exactly. So, and... So there's just moments where you're just kind of like, man, like, it, it, it could be that. It could just be because it's missing so much of Batman in that film. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think it's three and a half. Um, it, it, it holds up. Um, you know, it's the story is still, it's still good because we're still talking about Christopher Nolan here. You know, um, he's he's going to produce a good product that's going to last for a while. And um, yeah, so three and a half it is for me. Yeah. And, and um now transitioning to to favorite character, um, to, to, to me, it, it's just so hard to overlook Bane. Um, the control he has in just every scene up until the end was was staggering. And from the narrative standpoint, um, he was able to, you know, to just disturb the equilibrium in a hero's journey. And he made Batman better as there was just no way to outsmart him or take him down without um, Batman learning the ultimate lesson from being at his lowest. Um, but to you, like overall, who was your favorite character? So I, so I I definitely think Bane is up there for sure, but I'm going to kind of go a little different and I'm going to say Anne Hathaway is Catwoman because I, <laughs> I think, you know, because at this point when this movie came out, you know, I know that she's done, you know, she's done stuff or whatever, but it, it kind of my mind's like, oh, this is the chick from Princess, uh, the Princess Diaries. Diaries. <laughs> yeah, now she is, you know, she's grown up a little bit. She's playing Catwoman. It's like, mm, you know, is this going to work out? And I think she nailed the part. I think she nails the character as far as, you know, you know, she she cares about Bruce. She cares about the Batman. But she's also going to be very kind of close to the chest. She's not going to let you know that until she wants you to. Like, you know, like, so the scene where, you know, where he rescues her from the, from the, um, from the mercenaries on the rooftop, you know, they get, they get into the, they get into the bat and she says, you know, the, the, the iconic line in the trailer, you know, my mother warned me about getting the strange into vehicles with strangers (laughs) and I was like, you know, this is, this isn't a car. And, (laughs) um, but you could see on her face, like just this, like release of tension. Like there is safety here uh, with Batman, and so I'm rolling with Catwoman, man. I think she, I think Anne Hathaway nailed the part, and um, yeah, I think she she is a standard bearer for how that character is portrayed in uh, modern cinematic uh, uh, detail. Yeah, and that's another thing. There were more roles given to women in this narrative, and and her portrayal was just extremely stylish and suave as you know, as equally as Batman's was, like, like there were there were more women roles in this one. It was forward thinking. And there was just, you know, I feel like the characters were given more of a story. Like, like to you, do you feel as though this one even gave multiple characters just, just even more uh, of a presentation to their story? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, um, I think you, you wrestle with the, the hearty contention of Alfred in this film. You know, he is, he has reached the point where he is tired of Bruce continuing to subject himself to this torture over and over again to the point where he's like, you know, the world doesn't need Batman. You've already given everything you have. The world needs Bruce Wayne. 
So, yeah, I think you see the tension of uh, of Alfred and what he's going through. Um, and you can even see the tension of of um, Commissioner Gordon. And now that you know that he is having to really grapple with the consequences of his decisions, it's all coming to a head. He's lost his family. He's lost, you know, kind of this sense of peace. There is no peace in his life. You know, they say, oh, he, he lives like he's in a wartime when it's peace out here. But he knows deep down there is no peace. And that there is a storm coming, which is a big phrase in the film. A storm that comes and just knocks Gotham off its feet. So, yes, I think the film definitely explores um, a little more of like, in depth to these characters. I think if there was one thing I wish we kind of maybe would have seen more because I mean, he's Morgan Freeman, but give us more Lucius yes. Fox. Like, you know, like I Please. want, you know, he's, he's a, he's a charming guy. Um, he, he brings life to the character. Um, by all means, give us all of the Lucius Fox. So he um, was on but, minutes restriction. Christopher Nolan had him on minutes <laughs> restriction. He's like, you're he not, did. I'm not going to let you cook as much. <laughs> no, no, and he has some of the best quips in the film too, you know. Uh, so, and, and, and I don't know if you if you felt this too, well, listen, but like watching rewatching this film, like it it felt funnier. I don't know what it is about yes. watching it this like recently. It was but, lighter, and it could have been right. Yeah, it was definitely the movie was definitely lighter. Like he was, I think Nolan understanding coming from the Dark Knight and Heath Ledger so dark, uh, so passing heavy. away. Yeah, yeah he had to bring a little more light into it. And I, I was just sitting there today, like chuckling at certain things. I'm like, this, this is like a funny, funny film, but it's not like cheesy, like the old school Batman, you know, yeah. with Robin and his, all this stuff or whatever. Like, this is like, you know, this is just funny humor. Like, um, so. And I will say this, the Michael Keaton Batmans aren't horrible. The, 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 the Michael Keaton, Batmans, he, he was okay. He was, and, and even yeah. Jack Nicholson, Nicholson Joker was okay, but some of the Batman and Robins just, weren't at this level. No doubt. Yeah. At all. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. If you, if you come to my house, you go to my movie shelf, you will see the dark Knight trilogy and -hmm. you will see the Michael Keaton Batman. And then I do, I I, I do, I do have um, Batman versus Superman, but that's like kind of buried back in the corner. I don't like (laughs) to remember that, (laughs) but, but, but here's the hope that HBO writes the ship with the justice league. We get a really good Batman from Ben Affleck. Yeah, definitely. Um, transitioning to, to most memorable scene um, at hijack, hijacking the plane where Bane and his men mm. um, hijack a CIA plane to uh, kidnap uh, Dr. Pa- uh, Pavel, the Batpod chase where Batman chases Bane only to be hunted by the entire Gotham City Police Department. <laughs> um, Broken Bat, where Batman meets his match in, in combat against Bane. Um, rising from the pit, Bruce tries to escape from the underground pr- uh, prison. Uh, Batman Returns, where where Batman rescues his friends to launch a, a counterattack against Bane. Um, the Battle of Gotham begins. Um, together with the police, Batman takes on Bane's army in the streets of, of Gotham, um, taking down Talia, where Batman and Catwoman um, team up against Talia. Batman's Sacrifice, where he flies um, the bomb into the bay. And then finally, Robin Rising, where uh, Robin discovers the Batcave and Alfred shares a moment with an old friend. Um, there yeah. were really a lot of scenes in this one. I may have even yeah. missed a few, but there were just so many good ones. Uh, like, which one to you, like, really um, stood out to you the most? Yeah, that again, that opening scene is just so it's bizarre. Just so like, to, to, to just hijack that plane and, you know, it doesn't rip matter it apart. who we are. It doesn't matter <laughs> who we are. What <laughs> no, matters is our plane. <laughs> that's right. That's right. 
That's right. And, you know, like, or even like the part where he's like, you know, what's your next favorite play? Like, crashing his plane. <laughs> and then they, <laughs> exactly. they wreck it. So, um, yep. um, yes, that part is great. Um, definitely, you know, the bringing more of the bat pod in there, seeing them use it in a way to the, you know, flip the wheels around to make sharp turns, all that kind of stuff. Um, just kind of take it, you know, taking up a notch when it comes to the bat technology in this film. Um, but, but I'm going to roll with this, man. I think the scene that sits with me every time. Um, so, you know, Batman has done his, you know, or Bruce Wayne has done his first, you know, excursion with Batman. Um, he, he evades the Gotham city police, uh, which by the way, that scene was so reckless. Like you're going to bring the whole force out for this man. <laughs> like, take it down to Batman. It's like, well, you got the wrong animal there, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Uh, so, but yeah. So, so Bruce Wayne does his first thing, and he comes back, and he's given Alfred this piece, you know, technology. It's like you know, give us the fox, you know, and you know, get him to decode it and all that stuff. And you know, you know, Bruce is walking up the step or walking through his house, and Alfred says, you know, I'll do this, to Mr. I guess, to Mr. Fox, but no more. You know, I've uh, I've uh, I've stitched you up. Oh, it's over. I actually have it right here. I've sewn you up. I've set your bones, but I won't bury you. I buried enough members of the Wayne family. And it's just this very solemn moment, kind of like the, just a catalytic moment for, for Bruce Wayne and Alfred, where Alfred reveals to him that he is held for eight years. He's held this secret about Rachel. And, you know, Bruce has gone on this whole time living with this regret that he never got to save Rachel. That he never got to be with Rachel. And Alfred lived with this regret of Rachel was never going to choose you, Bruce. And it was always going to be Harvey. And then he, just in a moment of Bruce realizing what was going on, Alfred says, I'm using the truth, Master Wayne. Maybe it's time that we all stop trying to outsmart the truth and let it have its day. And that moment just flips the movie you know bruce goes from being dependent upon um depending upon alfred and the, his life that he has to essentially nobody. being nobody he's he has nobody he's broke you know all of his family is gone and then he proceeds to get his body broken even more so just that that was a turn of the film where, you know, we, we see Batman, he is back, and then just all of a sudden he's gone once again. Uh, but I agree with you. There are so many moments in this movie that really, really kind of stand out and just make you kind of be drawn in to who the characters are and to that moment. You just kind of feel the weight of it. And uh, But that, that part always sticks out to me. And that's, that's also kind of cheesy because that's one of my favorite lines of the film. But I got some others in the fold as well. Mm, for sure. And um, now transitioning to, to, to most memorable quotes, um, your punishment must be more severe from Bane. Mm -hmm. um, you think darkness is your ally. You merely adopt, adopted the dark. I was born in it, molded by it. I didn't see the light until yeah. I was a man. Then it was only blinding. Another one from Bane. Um, suffering builds character from Miranda Tate. Um, yeah. You don't owe these people anymore. You've given them everything um, from Selena Kyle. And then uh, Batman, not everything, not yet. Uh, they know they just don't care from, from Batman. There's only one man with his finger on the button. That's Bane from Commissioner Gordon. Um, let's not say on ceremony here, Mr. Wayne um, from Bane. 
that that scene when he said Mr. Wayne, everybody in the theater when I was there was like, oh goodness, Mr. You know? Wayne. <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> yeah. And um, then finally, the the shadow the shadows betray you because uh, they belong mm. to me. Another one from Bane. Um, like which one? Which quote to you? Uh, Bane had so many good quotes. I almost feel like Bane just yeah. stole the, the quote. Bane awards. stole the whole catalog. Yeah, <laughs> just stole the whole the whole category. Yeah. Um, what was kind of your favorite quote? Yeah, so, uh, so de- definitely the one just mentioned um, because I think it kind of summarizes the film in of itself and actually the whole trilogy of itself. You know, it's, it's time to stop out trying to outsmart the truth and let it have its day. I, lo- I love that quote. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but, you know, whenever... So I saw... You may have seen this on Twitter, but there's some individuals who have, like, you know, kind of, like, made their mission to expose how how fraudulent Batman is. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they said like, you know, when when Bane Bane beat that Batman so hard he made him turn the lights back on. <laughs> so whenever he's beating him in the under under the cave in the cave and all that stuff, I'm like, that's that's so funny. Because I mean line but that, that line is so the whole sequence is so captivating line wise. You know, you know, you merely adopted the dark. I was born in it. I was molded by it. You know, I didn't see the lights. I was on, so I was a man. And then when he grabs him, it's like, yeah, he's about to hurt this man. Um, and um, you know, I I love the I love the the, the, the talk between Gordon and and uh, Batman at the end, uh, right before Batman rides off with the, the atomic bomb. You know, he's like, I never cared who you were, and he's like, you were right. And you know, he in that moment. Bruce reveals his identity to Jim Gordon, and you can see Gordon's just like, man, he he took he gave, he gave me this secret, and um, but yeah, just again another kind of connecting points between all these characters where you know storylines are now closed, uh, loops are now closed, you know everything has now come full circle in this film, and uh, those definitely stuff just stood out to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, transitioning to favorite part about the storyline, um, to me, just how it didn't resort to just being a comic, you know, to comic book esque villains. You know, these particular villain villains infiltrated in here have substance, beliefs, and are multi dimensional characters. Um, also, just the chaotic nature um, in an all out anarchic state of things was delivered very well. Um, as it, you know, even tried to reflect historical elements from from the French Revolution. I mean, there were just a lot of anarchy later in the film. Yeah. Um, but to you in particular, like, what was your favorite part um, about the storyline? So, um, so I love that, and I mentioned this in the Memento review, that Nolan seems to dabble in these ideas about, and not just ideas, but like deep, you know, humanitarian things, like about truth and about time and about, you know, consequences and, you know, or on the other side of this, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, this film is a culmination of that. If you build, if you build your life upon a lie, it will eventually crumble around you, and the consequences are going to be dire. You know, um, a city was almost destroyed simply because Batman and Commissioner Gordon wanted to protect, essentially, a villain um, because they didn't want people to lose their faith. I mean, in in a sense, you kind of get it, like. You have a, a maniac and the Joker who has just ravaged the city, who has destroyed people's hope, you know, has made people turn on the Batman, 
all that stuff. And you finally have an individual who is willing to stand up against corruption, who's willing to stand up for what is right, who just goes off the rails. And I'm talking about in a hurry. You know, he um, just just begins to wreck, wreck havoc all over the lives of other people. Um, so they decide to conceal this. And once it comes out in the open, it just, it ultimately does what it's, what, it ultimately does what you expect it to do. Chaos ensues and, you know, lives are once again destroyed. But now it has festered to the point where, um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, Batman is seriously hurt. Um, Commissioner Gordon is seriously hurt. And, you know, got to become a totalitarian state, you know, where people are allowed to kind of do what they want to do and you know say what they want to say and it uh, and ultimately it, it just shows a, 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 a civilization that has no order um and as i think you know, as you and i are christians it kind of speaks to this this idea that you know if you truly want to live how you want to live that's fine but there are consequences to that if you choose to make those decisions if you choose yeah th- there's always a consequence to that and um, so I think there's some speaks a lot to that, that if you, if you want to live by the truth then you have to be willing to die by the truth as well and, um, and give your life for it ultimately, such as, such as what Batman did at the end of the film. Yeah, absolutely. And before we get to our last topic with Christopher Nolan, there was, you know, he was, as, as I mentioned earlier, he was hesitant about doing this third film. There's a lot that goes into completing a trilogy like this and putting the final touches to it. Um, you know, you can look at it from the way of him just having the apprehension of following such a magnificent film in The Dark Knight and seeing how to continue it or just how to, you know, complete this in the right manner. But like what in particular, like if you had to give your best guess of maybe why Nolan had some apprehension in, in even approaching to do this third film. I mean, you, you think about it. I mean, how many good sequels are there? How many good sequels to the sequel are there? I mean, it's just... um you know, like, you know, we can talk about Star Wars, like the follow-up to A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, it's a fantastic film. Maybe. In my, in, in my opinion, right, in my opinion, the best Star Wars film of the entire saga. Um, Turn of the Jedi is fine, but it's not Empire Strikes Back, though, because, right. because, because Empire Strikes Back, The Dark Knight, you know, all these films, they bring you to a point of despair and kind of leave you with it's like <laughs> Darth Vader has just revealed to Luke that he is his father. Yeah. <laughs> the Joker has, you know, again torn Gotham apart, and you know Harvey Dent is dead. You know, and of course, look what he's done leading up to that. I mean, just it, these films leave you in a point of like, man, there, <laughs> what hope do we have? And then you have this third film that's kind of right, and it help us feeling. You have this third film that is like now tasked to bring you back into the light so Mm -hmm. so i get it i get the you know kind of that you know that that reservation that well you know you know i don't know if i really want to do this again um i think too because like these superhero films are taxing man you know like i think what the groundwork the preparation right before it's it's a lot that goes into it I'm right, sure that absolutely. intro scene, the hijacking the, the CIA plane, I mean, just a lot that goes into yeah. scenes like that. And I mean, I think that's why you can applaud what 
what Marvel did and what those actors did to put 10 years into these films. Um, you know, and as far as I, my, my personal opinion, those people, those, you know, of course we have some, some more series coming, all that kind of stuff and some more movies, but you know, you could see like Robert Downey Jr. Chris Evans may never touch another superhero film ever again because they've given so much of their time to this and to, to study not just the script itself and the story itself, but to the, the original content and the art, the dedication and the fans, all of this. I mean, there is an expectation that comes with that. So even if you are Christopher Nolan, who's a brilliant director, like you carry that, that sense of like, you know, this is not just an original movie that I make it, even though it is his film, like you're having to kind of stick to this idea what people have who this superhero is and Batman. So, so I'm sure that, you know, that on top of Heath Ledger passing away, all of this, I think it, there are definitely some reservations I could see that took place where like, you know, do we really want to do this again? But I'm certainly glad they finished. I think it brings, again, the story full circle and it allows it to finish in a way that is, uh, I think, good. You know, it, it's, uh, it's, it, it's it a word. Yeah. It gave me a satisfying feeling at the end. Like, like when I left the theater, I was like, that's the way the Dark Knight trilogy should end. I didn't feel Absolutely. as though there were any more elements that they needed to add on. No doubt. No doubt about it. No, no, of course. Are there, you know, and I think, and we're, you know, we'll see, we're seeing it with these other, um, these other Batman films that we have coming out. Um, yeah, they may dabble in a little more things, like as far as like detective work and maybe technology or whatever. But as a whole, I think Nolan nails who Batman is. You know, a conflicted, a conflicted person who is trying to figure out what life is and, you know, and trying to balance his persona um, more so than others. I think, if anything, he probably could have done more with, you know, because when, when you really dig, dig, dig down into it, Batman, it, it, it's, it's Batman. And then there's yep. Bruce Wayne. Like there, it's not Bruce Wayne. You just think that, right? You know, <laughs> Batman is Bruce Wayne. It's not Bruce Wayne is Batman. So yeah, and, and you see that from times like you know, I mean, people will you know like ask them like you know what's your identity? I, you know, I'm Batman. <laughs> like I'm not Bruce Wayne. I'm Batman. So um, yeah, so that's but I think again as a whole, I think he nails um, who who the character is and what the story is, and it makes for a great ride. Yeah, absolutely. And and now transitioning to our last topic, 10 years from now, do you still think it will, it'll be watchable and intriguing? Um, I, I definitely think it will as it has everything you want to a conclusion of a trilogy like this. Um, viewers see the epic proportions of the events as, you know, the stakes are, are extremely high and an entire city is just on the verge of destruction. Um, the a- aspirational and entertaining elements that Nolan always packs into his films, but still following um, the style mm-hmm. of the neo nor were, were just exceptional. Um, but but to you overall, like you know, ten years later, like, like what more in this film do you think will keep people um, still watching it when it when it when it comes on TV or just even when it's on streaming and it's 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 that film you, you can still look back and, and, and enjoy the um, the finality of it. I I mean, it's going to be the characters, um, and that's one thing that that Nolan always does well with his films. He, he gives you these characters that you want to watch over and over again. Um, I, I right. want I want to see this this scene with Bane. You know, you know, challenging these individuals, and you know, telling John Daggett, you know, you know, does it, you know, 
do you feel in charge? Like, you know, like, <laughs> do you feel in charge? <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, like, no, I mean, you give me money that gives you power over me. No. So, um, so it's the characters, man. Yeah. And just the, you know, just those moments, the, the epic chase scenes, the epic fight scenes. Um, chase scenes. Yeah. The chase scenes, Trenton. The yeah. chase scenes in this Dark Knight series. Oh my goodness. Bravo. Bravo again, Nolan. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just just kind of that bringing in that heist element and just kind of that, okay, what's going to happen here? Like, I mean, yes, yeah, so we knew what was going to happen from the trailer when the trailer first came out. But, I mean, when he turns down that alleyway and you know, they get him cornered off and he because that, that thing, the bat fires up, he takes off. You're like, yeah, like you can never one up Batman. So, I mean, he, <laughs> he has got you every time. So, that's not the guy to try to outsmart. <laughs> no, no doubt about it. Because not only is he smart, but he's got people who are still 10 times smarter than you working for him. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, so yeah, you know, you know, if we think about you know, two years from now when it's the 10 year anniversary of the Dark Knight Rises, like, yeah, I mean, if it's on TV, I'll, I'll most likely watch it. If I have a slow Saturday and I'm chilling at the house, I'll probably throw it on TV or, you know, just whatever. I'd be, but also, too, I think people will be drawn to it because this is a conclusion. Like, this is what, this is how the story comes to an end. This is how, you know, we see Batman once again overcome um, destruction and evil and, uh, and, save, and save the city that he loves. And before before we close it out, so would the final ranking of the Dark Knight trilogy be Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, Batman Begins? I know Batman Begins is underrated. Tyler thinks Batman Begins is better than, than we give it credit for. I I, I kind of agree with him. But yeah, I, I'd give Dark Knight Rises a two. Yeah, so I think that, I think Batman Begins is probably one of the best superhero origin films we've ever seen. Um, as far as like diving into the, the realm of who Batman is diving into like, okay. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, for me as a, you know, I was, I think I was around 16 or 15 or 16, whenever the Batman begins comes out. So, um, you know, no, nobody ever, you know, I know at the time never been explained to like, okay, why does Batman have these like claws on the side of his arms? Well, oh, it's because it's from the league of shadows. And you realize, oh, this civilization, this organization is like so mm-hmm. much deeper than you really think it is. And like, oh, yeah. and then you realize, oh, wow, all of these villains that Batman has are so much deeper than we really think they are. So, so I would, so this is why I'm, I'm, I'm just going to cheat. I'm, I really don't care, but I'm going to say <laughs> Dark Knight and then a tie between Dark Knight Rises and Batman Begins. <laughs> mm, it came in with a tie. Yeah, it came. Trend is making it hard on 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 the social media posts that's going to be coming out in a couple. Of, he's making it hard. Tie. All right, all right. I'm cool with it. I'm cool. Batman Begins was really good. I'll yeah. give it to you. Batman the origin story was 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 exceptional. Yeah, yeah. And I think if there's one thing, if there's one thing I wish, but looking back on the film, you know, on these films now between 10 to 15 years later, um, I wish they would have done something better with, with Batman's voice. <laughs> like it, like in this film, in this film they in know. particular, like, like right. <laughs> that, or when he's like, where's the trigger? You were given to an ordinary citizen. Where is that? 
Like, are, is this, are you, are you Two-Face? Are you Two-Face or are you Batman? Like, um, so, I mean, I wish they would have, and again, these are things that other people could do really well, but like, you know, like dive more into like that Batman technology of like, give him that voice synthesizer. Like, don't depend on the actor to do it the whole entire time. I mean, I remember reading stories about how Christopher Bell got like, you know, like was hoarse after doing these scenes because of how he had to talk with Batman. Oh, <laughs> so, <Goodness>. but <laughs> if, if, if there's one thing that we can always laugh at, you know, or I guess it is goofy amongst this trilogy, it's got to be the Batman voice because it just, it cracks me up every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, well, Trent, it has been an absolute pleasure having you back on. As yeah. I mentioned, the Tenant Review will be coming it's later. Coming. We're definitely it's excited coming. for it. For- that one but but thanks again for being on man all right that sounds good man i look forward to it yeah well we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back for the second half welcome back to the show and first i'm joined by my um co-host Savon morris how's it going man going pretty good man oh we're going from the back to the tippy top okay all right good going back go. to the, going back to the <laughs> <laughs> And and for this one, we're joined once again by Ricky Coy. Um, he, he was a, he was a guest on a few months ago for just previewing the um NBA playoff bubble. Uh, but thanks for being back on, man. Yeah, no problem. I had a lot of fun last time, and I'm looking forward to it again tonight. Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, we're going to get into um a, a few NFL topics and, and just some um conference finals thoughts for the um for the NBA playoffs before the finals. And um, it started off with with Drew Brees and his early season struggles. Um, this this past Monday night, the Saints lost to the to the Raiders by ten um, in the primetime spotlight. And w- the 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 one thing with with Breeze, um, it has been his his passing yards have been lower than than ever to start the season with um, four hundred seventy two and the completions percentage sixty four point seven. And um, you know it's the lowest of any quarterback through two games since Brett Favre in two thousand nine. And he said, "quote I think we have always been one of the best teams in the league, probably in history, at the precision of the passing game." I think we're on our way to being back there very soon, end quote. And also, Michael Thomas um, wasn't there for that game. But um, to start it off, Ricky, like, what what are your thoughts on Drew Brees not licking himself early on and if this is maybe pointing to a decline? Well, I think you pointed out a very, very, very interesting fact that is very relevant to the situation. Michael Thomas wasn't playing that game. I think he would change them, and Drew Brees' stats would look a little bit better. However, I don't... I like Drew Brees, and he hasn't looked the same this season. Just the eye test. Not everything is about stats, obviously, but stats are a good indicator that he is declining. And you saw it a little bit in the playoffs last year when they had to put in Taysom Hill for that Hail Mary. Um, Drew Brees just doesn't have as much zing on his arm as he did a couple of years ago. And, you know, father time is undefeated. He'll even come for Tom Brady eventually. And, um, <laughs> I just think that Drew Brees should consider retiring soon because I don't want to remember him like 2009 Brett Favre, you know? I want to remember him right. playing close to his best. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Savon, like, like early on from what you're seeing and just him not looking as sharp, um, the downfield throwing not being as precise, um, what are kind of your thoughts on on his early struggles um, so far and just maybe like what can it, obviously Michael Thomas will, will make things different when he comes back, but but like, right. what are you just overall seeing from what Breeze is not doing so far? Well, 
I, I don't like when people do this just because I think that um, when the age the factor, when the age factor comes in, their expectations for a quarterback, especially because you're the, the, the leader of the offense. But I think we were forgetting how consistent Drew Brees has been the, his entire tenure in the NFL. It's only two games, only two games. They're one and one. They beat a, 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 a they, they got a conference game Every under day. their belt. They lose to a pretty good team that has been rebuilding for the last three to four years. It's okay there. The star wide receiver is out. It's okay. Kamara still looks good on the running game and the wide, uh, catching out in the backfield. But the biggest thing I'm looking at so far is the wide receiver core. I do not like it, even with Michael Thomas at the number one receiver. You have Emmanuel Sanders and no names after that. You have Jerry Cook, who's been in the league as long as probably uh, Drew Brees. He's been in the league for so long. He's probably played for like 12 teams. And I don't think their wide receiver core is as tough as it used to be. So I think that kind of ties into the role. And the running game hasn't got into fruition. And it's the second game of the season. No preseason. The guys are not gelling together just yet. It's, it's, it's a lot of stimulations. Yeah. It's also so working it's, on it. Saquon Barkley. It's time. Out. Yeah. Right. It takes time to especially build that rapport, especially without having the regular OTAs, training camp, not having the preseason and all that stuff. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not worried about Drew Brees. Drew Brees, or, like you said, you don't have to have the big numbers. My job is to lead this offense and score points, which they're still doing. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, the the with with Michael Thomas, you know, that's obviously Brees' go, go-to target who, you know, who... um whose status is skill up in the air um, for Sunday night's showdown against um, the Packers in the Superdome. And and they're, you know, new players being put in key roles as a result of this and also newly signed um, Emmanuel Sanders adjusting to things. Um, But Ricky, like like to you, with with your thoughts on just the impact of Michael Thomas' absence and the type of dilemma that puts a team in skill with weapons, but, but missing the most important one, like even if, like, let's say they don't have him for the Packers game, what in particular, um, from the Saints' standpoint, are you expecting them to like to, to see them actually try to work on without their best target? I would hope that they would run the ball with Kamara a lot more, and I would hope that they have been practicing this whole week to try and sure up the run game. I mean, I don't entirely agree with Savon. I think the Saints could very well still be a playoff team, um, but I just haven't oh wait what did i say they were going to be a playoff team no no i'm just saying i agree with you that the sky isn't falling and the saints aren't like oh okay over is what i'm yeah. saying wow like me out of the bus no 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 no, no. <laughs> that's not what i meant to say no, I'm saying they could still be a playoff team and it's not time like the ship isn't sinking yet you still panic. have time there's it's not time to panic is basically all i was trying to say um but I just worry if they can't establish the run game, especially with Drew Brees' slight regression in his arm strength. Like I said, he can't stretch defenses as well as he used to a couple of years ago. He's still very, very valuable to a team because he has great leadership and he understands the game of football to an insane level. But I think that they should do a run attack and take a bit of a burden off Drew Brees and have, I'd like to see a lot of play action and runs against the Packers. And 
As of now, I'm leaning towards I think the Packers are going to win, but it should be a really close and exciting game. Yeah, with like continuing on with 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 just what the the, the Packers can improve. I mean, the, the Saints can improve on um, Savon for for this upcoming game um, against Green Bay. Would would you go along with Ricky in terms of just the run game, kind of establishing that to to, to be the the key essential thing um, if Thomas is is absent for another uh, another game? Being a Green Bay Packers fan, I'm going to have to say that our weakest link on defense is our running game. Well. Running game slash secondary. I think if they give the ball to Kamara, I think it will. They have a better chance to win, and it'll set some things of like what Ricky said: the play action, uh, some uh, one on ones on the end. If they go, uh, they probably if they if they want to stop. It just depends on everything. If they want to stop the run or continue to to the uh, pass. Wow, what is my brain doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> It's Look, been a man, long we've had day. so many stops and restarts. I'm, I'm thinking about all the defensive coverages, like cover two, cover one, uh, safety over top. Like, I'm just thinking of so much, and my brain was like, yo, uh, what are you trying to say? But no, <laughs> I think if they, if they, oh gosh, oh my, skip me, bro. Come like, on, come on, I'm team, bro. It's been a long day. Damn, Best co host in the world. You got this. <laughs> I'm unprofessional right now. I'm sorry, guys. I need a bell line. Ricky, help me, please. <laughs> no, but seriously, seriously, I got this, guys. I got this. Got, I got, it, man. This. got it. Okay. The running game. <laughs> Get your game face on, man. <laughs> the running game. If Alvin Kamara has a great first half, then the game is going to, it's going to be a good game. But if they come yeah. out and we, they don't have a good running game and they rely on Drew Brees' arm because, one, the only wide, good wide receiver they have is Kamara. He's actually the running back. So if they rely on Drew Brees' arm just alone, they're going to lose. The running game has to has yeah. to be evident. The offensive line has to, has to put their hands in the ground and move people led by the left tackle or left or right tackle. He plays both in Pete. So the running game has to be the focal point for, for sure, uh, especially when you have an older quarterback. He still has the ability to get the ball down the field, but I think with with certain areas, they know what to expect from Drew Brees. Now, if the running game will help that with a little play action, a little one-on-one with Emmanuel Sanders, who actually is a deep ball threat, I, I think he still has some in a tank. But if they rely on Drew Brees on and on, it's going to be a long game because Aaron Rodgers is going to murk them. It's but, a bad yeah, man. Yeah, Green Bay's gonna win regardless. I don't care. Carry on, but I got it, guys. Look, boom, goes <laughs> yes. out of my. I can't completely drop... unbiased opinion, Savon. <laughs> I can't drop the mic because it's like on a stand. <laughs> but if I could, you would hear the. <laughs> <"Bing, laughs> <"Bing, laughs> <"Bing, laughs> like you would hear that. So. <laughs> it will. <laughs> oh. um, but yeah, transitioning to, to to Kyler Murray's excellence and and how high is his ceiling? Um, the Cardinals are currently two and zero, and Murray in his second year um, ranks fifth overall in QBR, and he has um, excellent open field running ability. And um, he's also scrambled eleven times on dropbacks, gaining one hundred twenty yards and scoring twice. And um, that's the most scramble yards through, through week two, still early in the season. Um, but to you, Ricky, like, what are your thoughts on how electric um, Kyler Murray's been, and 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 just second year development has been high for guys like, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Murray's just added onto that list. Yeah. Um, I, we were talking at the lunch table and I mentioned, I said, Hey, 
for the NFL season, who's your surprise team? And I don't remember which one you said because it was months and months ago. But I remember I said yeah. the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> and um, I I it. know it's early, but I feel like I called it because they are a 2-0 and and they look good. They look really good. Like how they're playing is definitely sustainable too. And with all the injuries to the 49ers, that just helps them out because right. all of a sudden they go from playing a Super Bowl contender twice to playing a team that is good if they were healthy. Like the Niners are hurting really bad right now. And I mean, the Seahawks are going to be a really tough team that they're going to have to play twice. But overall, I would not be shocked if the Cardinals made the playoffs. I mean, I picked them as a wild card before the season. Yeah, I, I, I definitely um, could see that happening. Um, to, to you, Savon, you, you, I mean, we were even mentioning earlier before, you still feel as though it's kind of too early to, to say like how, um, how good they'll be this particular year. Right. But with what Kyler Murray has shown and just his um, just a, a, a electric performances so far, um, what has stood out to you the most in, in what he's doing early on in Cliff Kingsbury's um, offense? I think you see a guy who's comfortable now that he, he got that first year under his belt. He understands the game. He understands he got a new weapon, a new toy in DeAndre Hopkins. You still have the the consistent and reliable Larry Fitzgerald. You have a good running game in Kenyon Drake, who they got last year in a trade. They got Emmons uh, coming out of backfield. They have the tools to, they gave him the tools to be successful. And you can see it to come into fruition. But what I want to see more from Kyler Kyler, yeah, Kyler Murray. Yes. What am I doing with my <laughs> life, Murray, guys? Got it. Yeah, yeah, Kyler Murray. What I want to <laughs> see from him down the road is how he face in how he uh, faces adversity, especially with bigger teams. I wanted to see you. They're not the same 49ers team. You get you move around a lot of their defensive guys. Armstead is gone. I think he's he's at the Bills or somewhere with a big contract. A lot of that defense is not the same. Richard Sherman is out. I want to see him face a team with a who has some dogs on that on that team. I hope they play the Ravens. If they play the Ravens, oh my gosh, what a game that is! I'm not even uh, familiar with their schedule. I'm not gonna lie, but I, right now you see a guy who's comfortable in the system. He has a year on his another year on his belt. He has a good weapons around him. But can how long can the train go? How long does it choo choo and the choo choo and the choo choo? You know. <laughs> How long this trade? It's it's only two games. I know they're two and zero, but how long can they go? Can that connection with him and DeAndre Hopkins with his stand continuously? I don't know. That's the that's the question mark I have for this team. They're hot right now, but how long? Yeah, and, and the one struggle for Kyler Murray is you know he hasn't had much success yet on deeper passes and having completed four of twelve attempts on throws and traveled at least fifteen yards past the line of scrimmage, you know, but but they're undefeated so far and averaging 27 points per game, ranking 11th in the league. But um, to, to you, um, Ricky, like, like what are some particulars you, you, you maybe even want to see more that Kyler Murray develops in, um, in, in terms like this is he's really young, young and early in his career, but, but is, is there anything in particular that you maybe even want to see him like grow more in? Well, I would like him to be more confident on the deep balls like you mentioned um he has pretty good mechanics I think some of the throws he made were just slightly unlucky that they didn't get completed but I just honestly he's improved so much in year two I kind of feel greedy to ask for him to immediately improve 
um, mm-hmm. right now. But I think his mechanics can get more consistent going forward. Like, I'm going to be honest. He reminds me a lot of a young Russell Wilson. And, you know, I look at Russell Wilson's stats for his rookie year, right? He had 3,118 passing yards, 26 TDs, 10 interceptions, and a 64% completion rate. And I look at Kyler Murray's rookie year stats. He had a 64% completion rate. 3,722 yards, 20 TDs, and 12 INTs, right? So a little bit more yards, a little bit more interceptions. And they just feel so eerily similar to me, you know, both being undersized, both being formal baseball guys. So what I want is I want to see Kyler Murray take a similar career trajectory to Russell Wilson. Like Russell Wilson just got smarter about when he moved around in the pocket Russell Wilson spent whole off seasons working on his deep ball mechanics where he is really, really good in all situations now. Like Russell Wilson is one of the three quarterbacks that I would trust in any situation. It would be him, Patty Mahomes, and Lamar Jackson. Um Yeah. But I mean Russell Wilson, he may be like the MV- I mean, he's he's in that early MVP running. The the game he had against New England, you, you just the, the Seahawks are just trusting him or are not, you know, because there was the balance of the run and, and, and them not, you know, going to him as much throwing, but early on, like Russell Wilson, he's, he's, he can make a, a MVP run in terms of what he's doing because he's even said he wants to, he really wants to be one of the greats in the game and, and separate himself from the league, but he's, he's had a phenomenal start so far. Yeah. And that's what I would project Kyler Murray's ceiling as. Do I think he could get as good as Russell Wilson? I think he could if he continues to work hard and improve. But that is a really, really high bar. Like, he has so much potential. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. And, and Savon, like, when you look at this division, the NFC West, um, obviously the, the 49ers, they're dealing with a lot of injuries the Seahawks and Rams are, are, are looking really good. Like what is the the realistic finish that you think the Cardinals could have? Like, I mean, the, the, the Niners, they're backed up, but when you have teams like the Seahawks and Rams that they're going to have to face that are looking, you know, more formidable, what do you kind of think is the early, the, the early realistic um, ending for them? That's tough to say, especially those, there's oh, four great teams or good teams. I wouldn't say great, good teams. Rams, they have a great defense, but I'm still not a, a believer in Jared Goff. Um, Kyler Murray, they they look good. They have a, they seem like they have great chemistry. You can't go against the Seahawks. Um, 49ers, I think they get it together. Mustard is having a great season so far. I think that offense picks up. They rely more on the running game, more. Um, I don't know, probably like number three. I think it's Seahawks. Ooh, Seahawks, 49ers. Then, then, then the Cardinals, depending on, because I don't think the Cardinals beat the Seahawks at all this year, not at all. I don't think so, because I think they're they they seen that similar offense, because Russell Wilson did run that when he first got into you know got in the NFL. They did the option a little bit too, so I think they're they're used to those that type of offense. But I don't know. It's like three. I think number three, because I think they're gonna they're they're gonna fall off a little bit. I think that defense is gonna get fatigued, even though they do have one of the best consistent cornerbacks ever to play the game and Patrick Peterson. We don't talk about him enough because he's too consistent. Nobody talks about Patrick Peterson. (laughs) That's crazy. I mean, preach it. I'm a Cardinals fan. 
So I might be a little bit biased on the segment. I have to oh, be honest. See, that makes sense. Now we get true colors are coming out. Right. <laughs> but hey, yeah, I'm a fan, but I've also watched these guys more than most people. Like most people don't watch 16 Cardinals games when they weren't that good last year. I did. They had potential last year. They just didn't have the weapons. They did. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the addition of DeAndre Hopkins and an improved yeah. defense, I'm predicting they can go 10-6, and six, especially with the Niners' injuries. Do, do they think, make the playoffs, though, with 10-6? and Because sometimes if you don't, mm. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah maybe got to get to 11. Maybe got to get to 11 wins. I, you got to beat the Rams. You got to beat the um, – you still have to beat the 49ers. It's still in those, those small Yeah, it's still, it's still not a runover. I think that they're better than the Rams and Niners with the injuries. Okay. With the injuries that the Niners have now, the Cardinals are better at this moment, in my opinion. Okay. I will respect that answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but now transitioning to two, the most intriguing week three game, um, obviously the Packers uh, um, and uh, – <laughs> the Packers and Saints is, is going to be an intriguing one. Cowboys, Seahawks. I mean, the Cowboys they they, they just had a, a fun, you know a, a crazy comeback against uh, Atlanta, and um, the 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 Chiefs Ravens. I just I could have picked another one, Savon. I could have done the um, the 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 went to a, a different type of game, but but it really is the 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 standout game to me as you know this is just um, an absolute Super Bowl caliber game where you have an historic meeting as um the first time two former MVPs age 25 or younger um, in Jackson and Mahomes will go head to head according to the Elias sports uh, bureau. And just so much offensive talent is packed into this game um, that, you know, with them looking like the best teams in the AFC, if not the entire league. And right. um, the, the one thing you can see with the distinction between these two quarterbacks if, is them showing more, more than one way to win games for Lamar. It's, you know, downfield passing, um, just finding ways to convert on the ground as he did in the, um, and, um, with his downfield passing game and then Mahomes finding ways to convert on the ground as he did in the second half against the Chargers. Um, mm-hmm. but, but this just has all the makings of, of a thriller and an AFC championship preview. But but to you, Ricky, uh, what is kind of the most intriguing um, week three game? All right. You might think this is crazy, but I think the offenses are a wash. Jackson and Mahomes are both really good. They both have elite weapons. They both have really good offensive lines. They have it all. So I think the real thing that is going to decide this game is I think the Ravens' defense is better than the Chiefs' defense. So I trust the Ravens' defense to maybe stop Mahomes one more time than the Chiefs' defense stop Lamar Jackson. So I'm picking the Ravens to win this one. Um, Patrick Mahomes has made people look foolish this season. He is so good. He is probably the best quarterback in the NFL right now. To me, it's either him or Wilson. And then Lamar Jackson is just behind them. But he, oh man, like, I don't even know how this game is going to go. I'm just so excited to watch, man. <laughs> I mean, it, it really is tough to, to, to tell because even last year, the Chiefs, they're like in command in that game that they played in the regular season. And then the Ravens make a, a, a late spur and it's 39 and 33. Um, I mean, to, to me, I, I think the Ravens can can honestly win it all this year. I mean, my pre my preseason um, Super Bowl pick was Ravens Seahawks, um, but the Chiefs. I mean, they're they're the defending champs. You know, you, you have to go through them. Um, Savon, like, what are your thoughts on this game, and also what's kind of your personal uh, most intriguing week three game? Most intriguing game: Dallas and Seattle. 
I say yeah. that because they came back <laughs> on the Falcons. Like a zillion points. <laughs> yeah. CD Lamb looked good. Um, Dak Prescott looked good. Zeke looked good. The offense defense is coming together. I know they're a lot, a lot of points, but the defense is coming together eventually. And then you have the Seahawks, who they're the Seahawks. But what I think about uh, the Ravens and the Chiefs, it's going to be a high-scoring game. Yes, indeed. Even though the Ravens do have a great defense, I still think it's Patrick Mahomes. Who holds Tyreek Hill? Forget anybody else. Forget anybody else on that team. Who holds Tyreek Hill? I mean, that's a question 31 NFL teams don't have an answer for. Exactly. They're still trying to figure it out. Right. I don't think even the Chiefs, if the Chiefs it was on the foot, I don't think the Chiefs would know. They'd be like, well... He's just, he's, he's just a, a cheetah. What are we going to do? Hey, yeah, what are we going to do? But no, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Lamar, I think Lamar shows his, continue to show his arm strength and his accuracy, which he's improving every single day. I, it's the difference from last year and this year. I can see it and how he stands in a pocket more. I think he's more wanting to throw now and to be a complete passer than a runner. But he does have, we all know he does have that element, that offense, that different, you know, running style element they have. It makes them dangerous. But, uh, yeah, I think the Ravens will pull this off. I think so, too. I think the Ravens will pull. I, I, I see J.K. JK, JK Dobbins having an extraordinary game. Extraordinary game. I, I feel like he's going to let loose. And that's the thing, like, with how the – to me, I know it's it's early, but the Ravens, they've kind of just steamrolled through their first two games. The, the Chiefs, they had, sure. like, a, a tough um, – kind of a, a tough, um, you know, low-scoring game early on against the Chargers because, I mean, the Chargers defensive front is is nothing um, to, 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 to to scoff at and, and just kind of, like, you know, overlook. Um, you know, they're, they have a really talented defensive front, and it gave Mahomes fits, but he still found a way later on to, to make plays. Like, um, to you, Ricky, like, long-term, if you just had to guesstimate, like, what team would you like better um, to, to really overall win this, win this conference so far, like who 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 really kind of stands out to you even more in terms of what they can do in a potential AFC Championship game early on? Okay, so are you talking about this year or like the next five years? This year. Okay, this year, I'm taking the Ravens. This year, I don't think that many people will take either the Ravens or the Chiefs. So I just. The Ravens are more talented defensively, and that's what it comes back to for me because the Chiefs have some holes, but the Ravens, it doesn't seem like they have a hole. Like, as long as they can stay healthy, I will be very surprised if they're not in the NFC. I mean, ASC, wow. ASC championship game. Now, I do have one concern, though, and Lamar Jackson hasn't shown up in the playoffs yet. Like, I'm waiting for him to prove it because they had that questions about Patrick Mahomes and he proved everyone, he proved to everyone, I mean, to say that he is an excellent playoff quarterback as well. He won the Super Bowl. He brought his team from behind twice in high-pressure playoff games. And I think everyone is just waiting for Lamar Jackson to prove that too because they got rolled by the Titans last year and a lot of their fans were really disappointed. Yeah. I mean, many people thought it, it was going to be their, their year last year. Um, Savon, to you, like, do you think this is the year that 
the Ravens, they can kind of like get past that hump of like disappointing playoff performances because they had, I mean, in, in Lamar's first year, they had that that wild card loss, a uh, loss to the Chargers. Next year, you know, they have home field advantage lose to the Titans. Do, do you think like this particular year, um, they really have the pieces to, to, to kind of like finally get over that hump and, and make a Super Bowl run? I think so. I think so. I think you have a more more poised quarterback in Lamar. I think you have a veteran running back um, in Mark Ingram. Then you get a uh, you draft a rookie running back who's phenomenal at, at Ohio State and J.K. Dobbins. I think you have. I still have Hollywood. You get you gain some guys on the defensive side to make sure they don't get ran over by Derek Henry. So um, <laughs> that was a that was that was crazy. That was like dang Derek Henry. That was his year last year. But I think I think they do. I think they go. I, I don't know if they win the Super Bowl, but I think they go to the Super Bowl. But I think they lose. I think they're going to face a team that's going to know what to do. The NFC is never wide open. I mean, I mean, the, the NFC is never like a, has like a clear cut team. To, to me, it's still kind of like wide open in terms of who that team can be. Like, there's a few really good teams. I, mean, but I think Green the Seahawks could be that team. I mean, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm talking to the Packers, uh, fishy. Of course, <laughs> of course. I mean, Green Bay is going to be in there. So, uh, I mean, as that. a Green Bay fan, how are you comfortable with Aaron Rodgers' recent playoff track record? <clears throat> Ooh. Ooh, that's Ooh. tough. There, oh my I think when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, it's not. I don't blame Aaron Rodgers because he always plays at a high level. It's always our defense that gets us in trouble. And we've drafted cornerbacks. We drafted safeties. We drafted linebackers. We drafted defensive tackles. We drafted outside linebackers. We drafted a defensive coordinator. We can't even draft the defensive coordinator. <laughs> so it's always the defense. The offense always clicks on all levels. It's the defense that gets us in trouble. The, Aaron Rodgers always deliver, but it's just our defense. Yeah, I was just curious what you thought as a Packers fan. Like, that wasn't... Yeah, I, I mean, Aaron Rodgers has played through injuries. He has been a leader. He's made incredible throws. We're the Hail Mary team now because of him. Like, he he has did everything. He, he's worth every penny. But when it comes to the defense, now we, we have the press. We have the Smith brothers, not really brothers. But our secondary with Savage. Savage didn't play last year because of injuries. We dropped him from Maryland. We have Zaire. Kevin King hasn't stepped up to the plate. Ugh, Kevin King gets on my nerve. We drafted him high. Then we got Drift. Oh, don't get me started. You know what? Our, our secondary is definitely our weakest point. All right. Digress. I digress. I digress. Move on, Willa. Because I'm going to get mad <laughs> just thinking about our secondary. Gosh, man. We won the Super Ricky, Bowl. Ricky, you brought up a sore point. Secondary. Whenever you bring up the Packers. Man, especially yeah. the defense. Especially yeah, the defense. I'm- I'm sorry. I'm just saying I'm with you, Wellington. I like the Seahawks to come out of the NFC because Russell Wilson almost oh, brought a deck of long, long, long yes. chairs to the Super Bowl last year. He was really close to bringing like just people that you've never heard of. They cost like, us the 2014 championship on that kickoff return <sighs> in that extra point. Have you ever gotten over that loss, Avon? Have you ever no. gotten over that? <laughs> The Dude. tight end that missed the, the missed the ball on a kickoff, we released him the next day. <laughs> <laughs> you freaking idiot. Like, get out. Oh, leave. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, how? We were beating their butt, man. They came back. Man, hats off to them. But, yeah, we were supposed to be in the Super Bowl. Jeez, but, Louise. 
But I mean, I feel your pain as a Cardinals we fan. We never got that Rodgers Brady. We never got that Rodgers Brady Super Bowl. No, yeah. no, we haven't. We'll probably never have because he's not going to Super Bowl ever again. <laughs> <laughs> not with Tampa. Not with Tampa. Not with the, not with the fucking. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. If he goes to the Super Bowl, I will shave my head and I will go to any team you guys pick. I will stop being a Green Bay Packers fan. Oh, great. Then you can be a Browns fan if he does. Wow. You know what? I like Baker Mayfield. I was Don't high on that. Baker Mayfield. <laughs> I if if they if we talk only this year though, if he goes to the Super Bowl. Well, no, he's going to retire about three or four years. If he ever goes to the Super Bowl with the Buccaneers, I will shave my head and I will become a Browns fan. Are you calling it? Full scope listeners. Hey, he said. Hey, look, I'm a man of my Are word. Are you calling it? I'm a man of my word. So let's, uh, look, I'm in. Savad is prepared to join the factory of sadness. <laughs> That's a good name for it. <laughs> factory of sadness. It sounds like a, a music group. Oh. <laughs> Factory of Sadness coming up. <laughs> <laughs> the Factory of Sadness. <laughs> that of sound sadness like a man, Ricky, that was the best joke we've had. Bro, that's high quality. Um, but thank you. Thank you. High quality. Very much so. Um, and transitioning to the NBA um, conference finals, um, Miami won game four in the Eastern Conference finals by three uh, against Boston. Um, Tyler Hero, who's just been absolutely clicking on all cylinders, had 37 points in 30 minutes off the bench. And um, his shot making was the biggest difference in this game. Um, he's also the second 20 year old in playoff history, score at least 37 points in a game. Um, the other being Magic Johnson. Uh, Jimmy Butler had 24, Goran Dragic had 22. And um, for Jason Tatum, he really struggled immensely um, in this past first half, but went on a tear in the second half, um, scoring all of his 28 points. And um, the Heat just never folded in, in this one, even when the Celtics cut it to three with um, 16 seconds. But um, Ricky, to you, like, what are your thoughts on Miami's long run as, you know, they're just one win away from the finals and what Boston can do um, to, to maybe find a way back in this series? Well... Boston can try and find someone to guard Tyler Hero. Yes. I mean, I don't I, I don't think they have anybody because Marcus Smart has to stay on Butler. So, I mean, look, unique and weird happens about maybe twice a decade in sports. And this heat run has been unique and weird. And I think a lot of it has to do with the bubble because most of the time, young players in the playoffs don't have the luxury of it being like an AAU tournament where they literally stay in the same place, eat, sleep, basketball, right? Like Tyler Hero must feel like he's done this a million times already. And he is a really, really good player. And his confidence is sky high right now. Like, man, if I was a Lakers fan, I would be afraid of the heat because LeBron James is probably the second best player ever. And the gap between him and every other player right now is insane because name another forward, a star forward who would point at Jamal Murray, who is a decade younger than you and saying, I got this for like the last five minutes of the game and completely shutting him down. Like what? No one else could do that. 
it it was like Jordan's iconic runs. Just that moment, my jaw dropped and my respect for LeBron went up so much. He's in year 17. Most players stop playing defense by year 10. <laughs> That's true. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but the, the matchups are going to be a nightmare for the Lakers because they just have no depth. They have no depth, and the Heat have all the depth in the world. Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, Bam Adebayo. Like, who's... I don't know who the Lakers are going to have guarding these people because, you know, you have a really great defender in LeBron, and you had Avery Bradley, but then he had to opt out for the health of his family, which I, of course, support. But I just I don't yeah. know who who's gonna keep up with all these scoring threats. Yeah, it, it, it's really it's really gonna be difficult because the Lakers supporting cast. I mean, obviously, you know, they, they still have to close out the Denver series, but the Lakers supporting cast is one of the things that is has to me has always been the biggest issue. I, the, the Lakers, um, as you as you Savon have said, they have the best duo in the league. It, it's clear from the jump. That's why you had them you know, as your finals pick and, and that, that tandem can, they, they're going to have to have perfect games if they do match up with the heat. And I feel like that it's going to be the, the, the toughest part of it. But, but to you, Savon, what, what are kind of your thoughts on this Miami run and just what the Celtics haven't been able to do? Cause they really have struggled with the heat zone defense. Right. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. Yep. Celtics going to win. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to take it to game seven. They're going to win. Oh, you heard it. Uh, in you heard it here. You heard it here. I'm, I'm sorry, bro. Heard it no. first. Celtics are going to come back and beat the Heat. No. Watch what I tell you now. You being serious? I'm being so serious. Watch. Jason Tatum Ow. is going to wake up and he's going to go belligerent. Like he's going to go. going to go crazy. Bananas. Stupid. He's going to go dumb, stupid, stupid. You know what I mean? With double stupid, with a hyphen in between it. Yeah. Your face. <laughs> no, being no, super serious, though. I think the Celtics are going to come back, and they're going to go go get, take it to game seven. They're going to win. And then they're going to lose to the Lakers. Now, if that scenario doesn't work for anybody on this other, <laughs> other than me on this podcast, then let's go to the realistic one. Okay. The Miami plays the Lakers. We're saying who's going to hold the – who's going to hold the Lakers? Who's going to hold AD? Who's going to hold LeBron? Jimmy can't hold LeBron. Jimmy can't hold AD. Danny Green's going to catch fire. They're going to have, they're going to run big man now because they're a, a big man team with Miami Heat. Who's going to hold Dwight Howard? Who's going to hold JaVale McGee? Dwight Howard hasn't been a factor for the past couple of games. Because of the, st- the style of play that Denver does. It's similar to what uh, the Rockets did. All the big men didn't play because the Rockets go small. Now, the only big guy on the court is, is Jokic. But, yeah, I, I I get your point. But I still think Dwight Howard, I don't think they go small against the Lakers. They have the ability to go small, but I don't think they will go small. I think they'll keep Jimmy Butler in. I think they'll go. Um, who's, the, who's the big guy for uh, for them? Where is their roster at? Well, well, no, no. Him, I'm, I'm not talking about him. I think they'll continue to have Jay Crowder in it because I know they interchange Jay Crowder sometimes. But a lot of I, – I get what you're saying about who's going to hold any them on the Heat, uh, whatever. The Lakers are going to win that series in Miami Heat. 
if they come out the series, it, I'm still sticking to it. Celtics are okay. going to come back. But I the mean, Lakers still win. Lakers still win in six. Lakers win in six for sure. Okay. LeBron well, I mean, James is going to go dumb, stupid, AD. They can't hold those two. They can't hold those two. J.R. Smith will get some playing time in that series. I think he'll be great for it. They'll need the, 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 the shooting presence. Hero is having a good series, but he hasn't faced the Lakers. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and before we close it out, with the Nuggets and what they've done overall, um, even if they, they still do lose, you know, even if they're not able to pull off this um, Western Conference Finals, you know, they faced elimination for the seventh time in the bubble and have already come back from two, three, one holes against the Jazz and the Clippers. Um, but to you, Ricky, just overall looking at what Denver has done, I mean, just the high usage uh, um, efficiency of Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic and, you know, even what Michael Porter Jr. has done, um, what has stood out to you in terms of what they've been able to do as just not a pretty good team, but a real contender going forward? I mean, the thing that jumps out to me is passing, ball movement, and chemistry. The Nuggets are fun to watch. Like, I enjoy watching Nikola Jokic play basketball. Like, I love really great passers. Like, I started being a basketball fan during the seven seconds or less era of the Phoenix Suns. My favorite player ever is Steve Nash. But it's just, I have a soft spot for offenses that have heavy passing and uh, and an and emphasis on getting it to the open man. And I think they're a year away from being scary contenders because all they need is Michael Porter to take another step forward and they have three really legit players. Yeah, for sure. And, and um, I'm Savan to, to you, like what has kind of stood out to you with, with what they've been able to do, what this core is current, this young core is currently doing and what they can build on for the future. The Heat, correct? Uh, and the Nuggets. The Nuggets, sorry. I mean, I, I zoned out, man. I'm sorry. Um, the, ooh. Hmm. You know what? I love the transition and the growth of Jeremy Grant because I, I don't think he was... He still has a long way to go, but I think he's he's on the right path besides being in OKC. Man, Jamal Murray, I'm sold on him now. Remember, I used to oh, yeah. say uh, he was so yeah. inconsistent. He, oh man, he's a dog, man. Guy will get buckets. Did you see what he did to LeBron? <laughs> yes. He gave LeBron like, oh, excuse me, sir. Excuse uh, me. With the chili, like yo, like who does that to LeBron? Jason Tatum did dunk on LeBron. That's crazy. And stared him down. And stared him down. Yes. But no, Jamal Murray. Oh man, Jokic. Yeah, he's so lazy. But it's so like it's just like effortless. It reminds me of the uh, Dirk Nowinski, like mm -hmm. his whole style reminds me like how he doesn't even jump to shoot. <laughs> He's just like you know what power, <laughs> power. <laughs> hey, go there, power. Like yo, this is like effortless. But it's a young team. Those guys, they do have a great chemistry. It looks like it looks like Jokic is the the leader of the squad though for sure. Yeah, it does I think seem that everything way. goes through him. And I think I, I like it, Joe. But Jamal Murray, man, he got he has he has a, a great career in form in front of him. Oh yeah. yeah, they have two super legit players for sure. And to to the amount of adversity they faced in the bubble, come on, man, 
to come back. They're not coming back from this for sure. No. <laughs> they, they're, they're not coming back from this. <laughs> but just the, the amount of adversity they faced and they just knocked it. They ate it okay. like it was flavored, man. But it was it was really dope. But if they do find a way to come back from it, nah. The Celtics is, but not the not the not the Denver, not Denver. I, I... <laughs> LeBron in closeout games is he's only lost one closeout game. I, I don't. He he may lose the next one, but they'll find a way to to, to wrap this one up. I hope so for LeBron's legacy. What his legacy is good. There's nothing can to to demean his legacy. 2011 Finals. That's about it. That's about it. No, 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 no. He got outplayed no. by JJ Barea. No, you can't even argue that, dude. He did. He did not he get outplayed by JJ. Barea. He had a game for one game. Really game. Getting eight points in one finals game. I mean, that that was kind yeah. of the lowest point. Of Bro, it's Dirk. Sean Mary. No, Sean Mary was on the squad, was he? They was on there. I know Jay, Jason Terry was. They had a squad. They had Dem. What's his name? or whatever. Bro, they had a squad, bro. It was come on. It's it's Dirk. It's fade away. I'm not taking away from the team that they were facing. It's just LeBron's performance was kind of the lowest efficiency we've ever seen. No, he had he had he had he had the bug, super bug. Actually, I wasn't I wanted them to lose, so I don't I don't really care. <laughs> like I wanted them to lose. Like I was like, oh, this super team, yeah. I'm gonna get they you. They were super really team. annoying that first year. Oh, they so oh, were. Oh, yes. I was like, yeah. Everybody was a Miami Heat fan out of nowhere. When I was a Miami Heat fan, it was because of Shaq. Mm-hmm. But when everybody, when LeBron, I was like, oh, whatever. Ugh. 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 Miami Heat. Ugh, 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 ugh. Yeah. Dwight Howard. Not Dwight Howard. Uh, Dwight <laughs> Wade. But whatever. They were <laughs> definitely annoying, bro. They were so annoying. When they lost, like, I was on Facebook heavy. Just giving everybody one of those humble sandwiches with with mustard. I don't even like mustard. Humble sandwich with mustard. I like mayo. Mayo's better, man. Mayo's yeah, mayo better. is better. I like I'm a mayo guy, you know. Yeah. yeah. My dad is a mayo guy. His dad was a mayo guy. <laughs> I think his dad before him was a mayo guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's wrap it up, bro. Let's wrap it up. Let's yeah. wrap it up. It's yeah. getting weird. It is kind of getting weird. Uh, Ricky, it is. <laughs> Ricky, it has been a, a pleasure as always. We, we always love having you on. Thanks for being back on, man. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm your host, Wayne Burns, along my counterpart, Save On Horse. This has been Full Scope. See you later.